Welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaley Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone, welcome back to This is Bipolar. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn. I am a mom, I am a wife, I am a teacher, and I am a mental illness advocate. My pronouns are she, her, and I live on Coast Salish territory, which is also known as Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And I am very excited today because I have Vasavi Kumar and we've been talking and we're practically best friends now. So I am going to get her to tell, she doesn't know this yet, but PS, we are best friends now. And so I'm going to get her to introduce herself and tell us all who is Vasavi. Hi everyone. Oh my God. I am smiling cheek to cheek. Um, first of all, yes, we are bipolar besties and only <laughs> we can say that I can say that we are bipolar besties because we both have bipolar disorder. Um, so my name is Vasavi Kumar. Um, on paper, I'm a licensed therapist. I'm the author of the book, say it out loud. Uh, thank you. I'm a voiceover artist and I have lived with bipolar disorder for 21 years. And I just want to say to you, Shaley, that what you're doing and the messaging that you're putting out there and the, the the content that you're putting out there is really changing lives, including mine. So I just want to say thank you. And it's an honor to be here today. Oh, I'm so, so glad to have you. And I was looking forward to the day. I always tell people, people like, you talk about like really hard things. How can you be excited? I'm like, because these are my people. Mm -hmm. These are my people. And I feel, yeah, it's instant bond, right? And so I love that. And I would love to get started telling about your story. And then I want to hear all about your book so that people can go and buy it and learn all the things about saying it out loud. So okay, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so uh, we're also both very, very excited. So we will be bipolar on brand and we 100% will be interrupting each other. That is my podcast. I am an interrupter. I oh, work on it my whole life, but I can't even help it. So all our all our buddies will know this. We'll know yes. this. <laughs> I'm curious. I would love to hear like your diagnosis story. Like when did you notice something was wrong? Did you notice yourself? Did someone take you to the doctor? How did how did that work? I would love to hear from the beginning. Absolutely. I don't think I've actually ever shared this story in depth um, because I think this might be the first or second time that I've been on a podcast that's specifically targeted towards people who have bipolar disorder. So it's it's going to be fun for me to share this story and and probably very healing and um, it'll release a lot for me as well. So thank you for the excellent question um, to help me remember this story. So I was uh, at Boston University when I was a freshman and sophomore. So that was back in 2000. Um, so I'm 40. So in, in 2000, I went to college. I went to Boston University. That was the first time I had uh, left my home, right? I was a, I'm a first generation Indian immigrant born and raised on Long Island. My parents were pretty uh, conservative in terms of how they wanted their daughters to be, you know, so I wasn't really allowed to do the sleepovers or date or do any of that. Although I usually fought to get what I wanted as a kid. Um, <laughs> yeah, you did. 
Yeah, I did. I mean, I was that kid. I, I did. And, and, you know, maybe I should have listened to my mom, but, you know, I had to learn the lessons the way that I learned them. So when I went to college in Boston University, that was really the first time, Shaley, that I had so much freedom. I didn't know what to do with myself. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I was, I remember the first night of college, I passed out like blackout drunk. I mean, it was just all this freedom. I was not ready for that level of freedom. Mm. Um, so it was sophomore year of college. I was still a virgin and I'm sharing this for a reason. I was still mm -hmm. a virgin sophomore year of college. I had started using more drugs. I was drinking, of course, because we're in college. We're all drinking. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I was drinking uh, a lot and, you know, smoking pot here and there. But sophomore year of college was the first time I tried cocaine mm -hmm. and I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved cocaine so much because I, you know, probably have a little ADHD sprinkled in as well. So cocaine really helped me focus, mm -hmm. you know, really helped me kind of hone in and, and, and just focus, focus. I was able to like slow down actually. Uh, but I started using more cocaine. I started drinking and I started having sex. Mm -hmm. I lost my virginity to a guy uh, first semester, sophomore year. And that was the first and only time I slept with him. But then I proceeded to sleep with seven other guys in a matter of two weeks after that. Yeah, I went from all one night stands, all under the influence. So during that time, this was, you know, I just lost my virginity. So I was 19 and I'd slept with so a total of eight people in the course of two weeks. Um, and I was also taking a psychology class at that time where we were studying mood disorders. So wow. when I was, yeah, yeah. So I was studying for my mood disorder exam and I was reviewing the symptoms of mania. And mm -hmm. I said, wait, I, you know, it said um, excessive spending. And I was like, yeah, I just bought three pairs of Pumas, the same, all different colors, but I bought three of them in one sitting. I remember that. And I was like, oh, and I've also been sleeping with these guys, a lot of them over the course of two weeks. And it also talked about substance abuse and lack of sleep, which I, I checked off that as well. Pressured speech. I also checked that off as well. So that's when, I mean, I, I was like, I definitely have this. I self-diagnosed myself, okay? But mm -hmm. I didn't go to a doctor or anything like that. And I remember the night before my mood disorder exam, I, th that was, that was the, I lost my virginity, right? And then the next yep. day I had my psychology exam. Yep. And then, wow. Yeah. And so That's it was, big. or it might've slept with that guy. I don't even remember. I think I blocked out a lot of the memories, but it was in yeah. some order where, I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I have this psychology exam and I'm taking this psychology exam. I ended up passing it, of course, because it was all mood disorders. And yeah, I'm laughing about it now. But at the time I was like, this is not me. This yeah. is not the real me. I was not raised to be this way. It doesn't feel good to be this way, to just be drunk and high and having sex with all these men. And so I called up my mother and I said, I think I have bipolar disorder. And my mother said, which of these symptoms? do you think you like fit? And I couldn't tell her about the substance abuse or alcohol abuse. Right. I couldn't tell her about the hypersexuality, right? Cause I grew up in a conservative Indian household where we're supposed to wait till we're married. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I just kind of bullshitted her a little bit. And I was like, you know, I've been spending all this money and you know, I'm talking really fast. And so I would, you know, I, I, I it was my cry for help. Okay. Yeah. That was my cry for help. And last semester of sophomore year, then I graduated at a 2.3. My mother called me up and she said, Vachi, and Vachi is what my parents call me. They don't call me Vasavi. They call me Vachi. She goes, Vachi, 
I think you need to come home. I think you need to transfer home. And I swear to God, that is probably the only time in my life that I just surrendered to her instead of fighting back. And I was ready to come home because I knew I was going to destroy myself because I was just out of control. I had no control over my own self and it was fueled by drugs and the people that I'm hanging out with. So I transferred home. And then in December of uh, 2001, I believe it was like 2001. Yeah, 2001. Uh, my mom took me to Dr. David Ginsburg, who was one of the best psychiatrists in New York City, 59th and Lex. Wow. I still, yeah, I still remember. I still remember his office. I still remember his address. Anyway, she took me to the psychiatrist and he, we, you know, we went through the MDQ, the mood disorder questionnaire. He asked, and I asked my mother to leave. I asked my mother to leave so I could tell him honestly. And yeah. I just want to emphasize this to everyone listening. I know it's not easy to be honest because we feel a lot of shame, but I'm going to say something because this is something I've lived by since I was 12. And I started therapy when I was 12. It may be hard to trust a lot of professionals, you know, having to divulge yourself. But the best thing that I have done for myself is to be honest with my health professionals, my mental health professionals. So I asked my mother to leave. And at that point, I could because I was over 18. Mm -hmm. So my mom left and I told him I've been sleeping with all these guys. I, you know, I slept with all these guys. I don't I'm not this kind of person. And long story short, he, you know, my mom came back in and he said, you know, your daughter is brilliant. She was spot on with her diagnosis. And yes, she has bipolar disorder. And this is the thing. So I was relieved. That's what I want everyone to hear. I was relieved because I knew like a lot of the symptoms of mania. It just wasn't me. It just didn't feel good. I knew that this was out of character, but I finally felt like, oh, okay. So I have a illness. I have a diagnosis. What can I do now? So I, that that's just, I think that's God's grace. It's just the way my mom trained me was to you know what I mean? Like knowledge, always seek knowledge. Yeah. So my, yeah. and, and so I sought knowledge and I tried to do whatever I could to help myself. I mean, we can get into like the medication of it and all that, but mm -hmm. I remember the first time I was diagnosed, I was relieved. Yeah. Um, and when we got back out on the street after the doctor's appointment, my mother said to me, don't ever tell anyone about your diagnosis. Oh, shucks. Oh, shucks is right. Um, and so I immediately felt shame. Like, oh, not great. I'm, I can't tell anyone about this because there's something wrong with me. I now know, and my mom have, my mom and I have had closure on this. I asked my mother the other day, actually, did you tell me not to tell anybody because you were ashamed of me? And she said, no, I, I didn't want you to tell anyone because I know how cruel the world is. Mm -hmm. And I know if people knew that you had this, that they would treat you differently. And she goes, I didn't want anyone to hurt you any more than you've been hurt. So that actually has been very healing for me because I have released, I would say the majority of my shame around having bipolar disorder. I don't have, let me say this differently. I don't have shame around it, but I'm still very cautious about who I talk to yes. about it in my closer circles. It's funny, Shaley, I can talk about it publicly on a podcast, but one-on-one -on -one or in a small group, when people start asking me questions about the bipolar disorder, I, I have a wall go up mm. because um, yes. I, I'm still like, are you asking because you really give a shit? Or are you asking because you're poking holes? So yeah. that for me has been uh, important for me to also assess my own boundaries and how I feel about, do I trust you with this information? Because no, once I, I let really... you, yeah, once I let you into my bipolar brain, are you going to fuck with it or are you yeah. going to hold it dearly? Yeah. Because oh this is goodness. what I live with. Yeah. 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 I feel that. I feel, oh, I got goosebumps when you said your mom, you listened to your mom to come home. That was that, oh, how beautiful. 
Um, I totally relate to what you're saying about the, it's so complicated, right? We always think we're going to feel one thing or this, there's this both. And I was relieved, same as you, there was this relief, right? And almost a claiming and yet, right. And that you said, even when you walked out, right, it's the same thing inside. I was like claiming, I was like, okay, I'm not inherently a horrible person right? Like I'm not inherently angry because I get like, I get really angry when I'm manic, hypomanic. And um, I just, I just love that you talked about the both and because I think that that's just so important to understand because I've tried to, especially growing up in, um, or not growing up, but being in a community of faith, um, sometimes, uh, you know, the most well-meaning teaching and, and folks, it's very like, there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer and I just find there's so much freedom in the in the in between yeah so if you're someone that's struggling with with both of those it almost felt like I almost felt like a little bit I was telling my husband at first a little bit embarrassed that I like almost claimed it that I that I wanted something right like because it's like who claims that kind of word I didn't know anything about the big b word it seemed more serious than anxiety and depression right and so yeah I love I love how you talked about that and I loved how you talked about so it gives us a good focus when you said well what can I do with it like what can I I can do something instead of just being caught up in, in all of this so did you listen to your mama? Did you tell people what happened next? I'm so curious. Well, if you really want to know what happened next, that night I went over to my friend's house, told them we got an eight ball of cocaine, and that's how I dealt with my diagnosis. If you really want to know. I do. I want the truth. Yeah. We got an eight ball of cocaine. I came back to my friend's house, and I said, I just got this diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And I was like, I don't know what it means, but I got to get on a bunch of meds and all right. And so we partied that night and, uh, you know, back then I was 19, so I could handle that, that kind of drugs. Like it didn't have the effect that it would have on me later on in life when I went back right. to using substances, which we'll get to. Um, but then, you know, shortly after I got diagnosed, I went to the Barnes and Noble that week and I went to the mental health section and um, I got a few books on bipolar disorder, one yeah. of them being the Tao of bipolar disorder. Okay. So for me, because I'm, yeah, I'm a woman of faith. I, I was raised in a Hindu household where we were taught uh, that the, the way we stop the cycle of rebirth is by attaining moksha. Moksha is liberation. The way you attain liberation in our religion is you find oneness within yourself and with God. And so when I read this book, The Tao of Bipolar Disorder, it said, it said that bipolar disorder on a metaphysical level and I, I, I'm also going to speak to the metaphysical part of this because I think yeah. we can spiritually bypass our diagnosis when we really shouldn't. Yeah, but, so true. but I really appreciated the spiritual definition that I saw. It's just, you know, the bipolar, for people who have bipolar disorder, they have a split between who they really are and who they think they should be. Mm. And I got something for, from that. And for me, that was like, oh, if I want to cure myself on a spiritual level, not on a chemical level, okay? Yeah. I said on a spiritual level, I said, Vasavi, then you need to be at one with yourself. You need to close any sort of incongruency or conflict that you have within you. Because the book had said it's the conflict between your higher self and your ego, the God and the devil and the, or the, or the, 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 yeah, the higher self, your higher self and this lower vibration. Now, now, when I look back at that book, 
this was very polarizing, but it gave me once again, something to hold on to because it said, well, we all have a, not all of us, but for people that have bipolar disorder, we have the split with the split within us that is on a greater extreme than the average person. Yeah. And it's not about agreeing or disagreeing with it. It just gave me relief. And so what I want to say is for anyone looking for relief, find the thing that gives you relief, right? Yeah. Find the thing that's going to actually help you want to help your mind and be kinder to yourself. And so for me, that's, that's when my path started really to come back home and find a sense of home and safety within myself and within my mind. Yeah, um, yeah I love and- that you said that because every person is different, right? Like I should myself, I'm the worst. I should everywhere, should, 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 right? And so I, for me, I could, like, I couldn't for probably like almost a year, couldn't like read about it online. I couldn't get like a medical book. I I didn't get any books, right? I was like, I have so much. I, I just had so many things going on that I couldn't. So what works for you might not have worked for me which might not have worked for other people and if I can we can save anybody from Mm -hmm. shooting on themselves find your thing if you're reading like I got very triggered by a lot of um like medical websites like oh this this is the whole reason I started the podcast I wanted to see someone I wanted to see a face and be like okay um even they're honest I didn't want to see a face that was going to tell me that you know wrapped up in a bow I wanted to see a face was like look I am here you can be here and we can you know we can do this regardless of how terrible we feel right and I love that you said that I was going to say I cannot take advice from someone who has not walked a freaking day in my shoes like just because you have an MD after your name that's great but you don't have the brain that I have You may run some brain scans. You may have done a bunch of research with like a test group of people, but you still don't know what it's like to walk a day in my shoes. Yeah. Like live in our bodies, right? Yeah. You don't, because it is, it is a full body experience to have bipolar disorder. I mean, when I am angry, I am, I am, I have rage rippling through every cell in my body. It takes over. I, it's not me anymore. It's, it's, it's an entity. Yeah. And it's so hard to explain to people and it's so hard to get it. Like it hurts others. And it's so hard. Like I sometimes say, like, if I had a different disease, like if I had a heart disease or something like that and say the, the, um, side effect was like, uh, like major sweating or like the shakes or something, you can invoke empathy in people, but when Mm -hmm. you're angry and you're being mean and you think you know everything it's a really there's people don't have a lot of sympathy for that right side effects include i may cut you i may cut your balls off yeah. may make you feel like a piece of shit and may destroy our relationship that's a side effect but i'm hurting right and i'm hurting but i'm in pain yeah but it's really yeah. hard because there's this line like yes i have to be accountable but like i always uh, like i ask my husband on certain days i just know when there's that vibration in my body and i just know i tell him like i don't not a free-for-all but can i have some extra grace like it is I am struggling to be kind and it has nothing to do with you. Right. And it's hard to ask that from our people. It's, but it's like, I try to get, I know it was really big for my family. Like I tried to get them to understand, like, 
look for me because that isn't isn't me and I always talk about like I absolutely hate the apology tour the apology tour afterwards tell me do you have to do the apology oh my god oh my god you you know and it's I I the other day with a friend I was a day the day of my period so I'm hormonal yep and you know I recently shared I uh uh, with you before we started recording, Shaley, I just got on meds April 1st, right? So by the time we release this, it'll be a little over a month, you know, since I've been on meds. And I was talking to a friend and I got snippy with her. Now, this is a friend that I've known for years and she she didn't, she, she stood up to me. Mm-hmm. And when she stood up to me, I softened and I go, okay, I'm having a really rough day. She goes, it's okay, sis. She's like, but you know, she's like, you got to let me know when you're having these days. Like, she's like, when you just snap at me, like it, you know, and she goes, I love you. She goes, but there are going to be people who don't put up with that. And here's the thing. Those moments are very rare for me with friends, but with family, like my mom and my sister. Oh my God. I mean, I actually made a joke and I said, can I just buy y'all? I, I, what I say, I go, I'm going to just wear a shirt that says, I'm sorry for all the things that I said when I was hypomanic. Exactly. Okay. Can we make these shirts? We will be, so nobody steal that. It's our idea. Yes, we are doing it. Yeah. I'm sorry for all the things that I said when I was hypomanic, because I will, I will say things like, I hate this family. I don't want to be a part of this family. You guys always do this. Like it's, it is the most, it's the youngest version of me. It is, it is, it is the girl who is maybe five, six years old who is so terrified of being abandoned. And it just, it's like, I know how young I feel. It, it doesn't feel like 40 year old current self philosophy. I am transported back to a time in my life where I think it's when I, the purity of who I am, the innocence got split yeah. off. And then yeah. my brain just fucking twisted yeah. into this like, F the world, you have to protect yourself vigilantly. People are going to attack you. Yeah. And w- what ends up happening is my mind attacks me yeah. instead. And oh, then I attack okay. others. I'm so curious. Um, yeah. So I feel this too. And I've been um, working on this with my therapist too, like going back to a time when you didn't believe that or when something like you said broke. And what I didn't understand is I was always like, well, I don't like my parents are did the best they could, but they're pretty awesome. Like I don't have yeah. a lot of big T trauma except for Someone told me that like a couple of years ago, like actually having bipolar is big T trauma, which is blowing my mind and makes sense. But I didn't have a lot of that in my childhood. So I didn't explore a lot of those things because I'm like, well, there was nothing, you know, really bad or, and they were, they love me and they've always loved me. But, and, and this can be true too. They, things you can, these things can happen and you can experience like you said, this abandonment that didn't happen and your family, you know, might've been doing their best. My family, they know this, they're very hippie. They're very not really, they have their own timelines. They have their, this, you have a little anxious girl and Mm. you write, and you have trouble being on time. We live paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes we go like get groceries and then we'd have to put some back. And I would like die. Like I would, that right? has had to have an impact because it's, 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 um, how could you feel safe or secure? You can't right? feel safe and secure like that. So there's a part of your brain that I feel actually morphed into needing to be in vigilant protective mode. And so I, I think that's, that's the thing. I, I, I'm really glad that you said that you don't have to have this extremely big T childhood traumatic where it's like, 
oh, like, but those things that you're talking about that, that I didn't have to worry about that. I've never had to worry about the, my safety, my, and, 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 and the security and the stability of money. Right. That's one thing, but I had other things, but that's, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because I want everyone listening not to dismiss those kind of things. Don't dismiss that stuff from childhood. And and then in the process, dismiss your own experience of what it was like for you and how you got here. And I didn't want to, so I felt like it was like dishonoring my family to even speak aloud, which you will appreciate, um, to speak aloud that, um, you know, that these things were hard also because it really, it hurts my mom, right? Even though she gets it, it's still, when I speak of these things, it's hard for her to hear. And I felt like I was almost like, I couldn't say that. So I think for the longest time, I didn't release any of that in therapy, or I didn't speak except for maybe to my husband about those things, because I felt like I didn't want to hurt their feelings. But then at the same time, you can, you can hold both. Like they were amazing. They love me. And this wasn't healthy for me, or this didn't work for me. Um, And it, but if I don't recognize that, it, I felt like it was that one place that was really holding me back. Like I, I was like, I'm not doing inner child therapy. I'm not like, I would, I would not look at it because of that. And because of the, the, mm-hmm. uh, fundamentalist Christian, uh, that I was a part of, um, it, it was like considered kind of new age-ish. Right. Mm-hmm. But it has been probably some of the most life-changing therapy that I've done now that inner child, like going back to that moment and telling, you know, little Shaylee that she, you know, is safe. And then it can give me compassion for myself now. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it's like, you are feeling like little Shaylee. Whereas if I think of myself, just of myself, my voice will be like, you suck. What's the matter with you? Get it together. Right. Yeah. But would you say that to little Shaylee or little no. Vasavi? No. no, no, you would not. That's why I, I keep this photo. I don't know if the people are going to, I keep this photo of me uh, next to me because I would never hurt her. That's I would never. That's a good idea. I need to have a picture. Somewhere. Yes. Always oh, look. And I, oh my God. And this favorite, look at that. How could you Bless. ever? Yes. How could I ever? I mean, and I have other ones and I, and I know it may seem childish for some but you know what if it seems childish probably more of a reason for you to do that you know if you think that if you think that looking at yourself as a child and and speaking kindly to that child which by the way still exists in you that little girl little boy is still you it's just gotten bigger my dad always says is it the is it the man that drives the boy or is it the boy that drives the man right because my dad would say because he'd always say there's this little boy in him you know, my dad always, yeah. So it, it, it's true. I'm really glad that you, that you decided to look at the inner child work yeah. um, and really loving all that. I saw this meme the other day that said, my inner child needs love. My inner teenager just wants revenge and all my current self wants is peace. Oh, and so good. So good. Right. So, I mean, we have, think about things in our life that trigger us. And oftentimes our reaction to those triggers are disproportionate to what's really happening. When 100%. I get, yeah. And even when I'm, you know, highly irritable and I find myself being like, oh, like, you know, you just, you just get into those moods. I'm like, how old am I being right now? Not to shame myself. It's to actually give that 15 year old. What does 15 year old Vasavi mean? 15 year old Vasavi was very angry and misunderstood. That's such a good question to ask because I noticed. So Right now, this is probably a really hard stage for me. I'm raising teenage girls right now. Mm. And I uh, and I tell them and I talk to them about it. But I, when we're arguing, 
I am not arguing as a um, reasonable adult. I get pulled back and I become their age and how I was at their age. And I'm listening to myself and I'm like, what? Just stop. And it's like, just like you're acting exact same. And so I tell them, I'm like, okay, I'm like, that would be if I, you know, what I just said, can we have a do over? I'm going to speak to you as, you know, almost 45 year old mom right now, because I do. And we're going back and forth. And, and then if, but if it's hard, because then if my husband points it out, I'm furious, right? Like I have to want to point it out. Yes. Yes. You don't like it pointed out because that, I mean, when, when it's pointed out for me, I feel immense shame. I'm like, shit, someone saw it. Someone saw it. If they only knew, oh wait, shit, they know they saw it. And it's another thing when you realize it, but I just want to commend you because I think a lot of times parents think they can talk however they want to their children. Um, I, I, I love how much you take ownership of your state, your internal state. And just saying like, Hey, can I have a do-over? Like, I, I think I think about myself. If my mother, when I was a teenager, when she got re- reverted back to being 15, 16, right. if she would have just acknowledged that, what that would have done for me. I always think, uh-huh. what would it have done if my mother acknowledged when she, because I have a feeling my mother might be undiagnosed bipolar disorder, to be very honest, but it's not for me to say that. But yeah. recently I've been, I've been thinking that. I haven't said yeah. anything to her because it's yeah that's yeah my place I hear but, you with certain family members yes but I I just want to uh, acknowledge you for that and you know Thank the people you. who love us the most and see us outside of our moods and can see us for the truth of who we are that we are not just our moods we're not just our fluctuations I mean yeah we want to preserve those relationships so I you know because they really see us and love us so I just I love that you said that to your daughters oh, like let's do thank a you because honestly I'm an elementary school teacher, right? Like I knew littles. I was like, even though it was hard, I'm like, I, I, you know, I got this. And right now it feels like I'm launching, like my daughter's graduate, like launching into adulthood. This is, it's honestly the hardest thing I've ever done. I, it's just really hard and it's really triggered my disorder. So I'm having to keep in check. I'm having to have these conversations with them. They know, they know all about, they know my, they know symptoms and we talk about it too, because we've talked about like that it runs in families and we were, you know, no, you don't have to think that you're definitely going to get it, but be aware, right? Because mm-hmm. if, if my mom knew that it was more than me just being, you know, a, a teenager, maybe like I didn't get diagnosed till I was 32 years old, oh. 32 years old. I live, I, tr- I don't do this because I don't try not to go like it is what it is. But like, sometimes when I get feeling really sorry for myself or angry, I'm like, there is that many years that I could have been treated that I didn't know. Like I have so much compassion for that, that person, right? Like that was a lot of years of a cycle of depression and hypomania. And, and so that's why I'm so encouraged by you and by books and by uh, people speaking out just because um, I think I'm noticing people that contact me are much younger and getting their diagnosis, like so much younger. in their yeah i mean i got diagnosed when i was 19 i mean that's that's pretty normal that's pretty normal right i say normal like early i had a i had a pretty normal onset an early onset i think would be like when i see kids getting diagnosed like 13 14 i'm like i i kind of get a little skeptical about that because it's like your prefrontal cortex doesn't even get fully developed until you're 25 so you know when i got my father got diagnosed when he was 65 and i was like what I, so yeah. I, I feel for you. I feel for you yeah. as well. Um, but 
here's the thing. I think the, the more we educate ourselves, the more we spend time in community with people who, who maybe have more lived experience, who can be like, hey, I can help you out. You know, just like, just know we, we can always learn from people. New folks, yeah. people who have lived with it. And um, yeah, the more we, the, the more compassion we have for ourselves and the more we say out loud what we're going through, we're helping ourselves yeah. and we're also helping those around us to help us yeah. and support us. Yeah. I would love to dive into, so first, mm -hmm. I would love to hear about just how this, um, the way you live your life and the say it out loud, and that is what your book is called, we'll have all the information in the show notes, um, how, like, how did this come about for you, and then I really want to dive into the part, it spoke to me so much, of the name, the parts of yourself, right. I think it would help our listeners, like, I can't stop thinking about it. And I read, wow. I read it like a month ago that that section to me just spoke so much. So how did you get to this? Like, this is the, this is the biggest thing that I want people to understand this, this say it out loud and then help us name ourselves. Yes. Yeah, so I, uh, well, there, there's two parts to this. So I started to talk to myself and well, talk out loud and yeah. respond back shortly after I got diagnosed. So I became acutely aware of these racing thoughts. And I thought having racing thoughts was normal because I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm just fast. I thought it was just fast. Like, I thought that was like, I used to talk fast and I used to pride myself on talking fast, all the kids at school. Like, I thought it was really awesome, you know, that I could talk fast. And think that fast. You're like, I'm yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I'm brilliant. No, Which I'm we are, we are. Which and we also nobody else is with you that far ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, 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 feel, I feel sorry for the sucker that <laughs> to be on the receiving end of my dialogue. My, I'm sorry, my monologue. So the way that I started talking to myself and responding back, I was driving down like Long Island Expressway, which is on Long Island, uh, where I'm from. And I was like, okay, racing thoughts. And so I shut off the music in my car and I'm driving and I'm just quiet. It's quiet in the car. And I'm, and then I kind of disassociated for a second. And I, I just started observing my mind and I'm like, it was like, like, it was just like ball, pinball. But I, that was the first time I just, I wasn't my mind anymore. I just started observing my mind. And wow. then I said, wow, these are going so fast. What are all of these about? And so I started speaking the thoughts out loud to find some sort of connection. I'm like, why am I thinking about this and this and this and this? I was able to, my brain is able to hold multiple realities and multiple thoughts at the same time. And they're all clear to me. I can't explain it, but it's, I have many different thoughts in my head and I can actually just put my attention on all of them kind of at the same time. Like they don't feel like clutter anymore. I, I know this may sound really crazy, but you know, so I started saying those thoughts out loud, like, oh, okay, you have to finish this paper. Oh, okay, what are you going to eat today? Oh, wait, you got to call your dad about this. So I would say them out loud and I would close the loop on each of those thoughts. For me, yeah. I don't like having open loop thoughts for, for that. Like if I'm laying in bed and I have a thought that says, oh shit, you got to record this video tomorrow. Don't forget. Yeah. I will get up out of bed, come to my office, write down, write it down. So I take it out of my head and it's on paper so I can sleep peacefully. So for me, the yeah. way that I found quiet in my mind, or at least started slowing it down is I would say out loud each of that. So I'd be like, oh, okay. I got to write that paper tomorrow. Cause I was in school at that time. And then I'd respond back and say, okay, make some time tomorrow. You'll do it, you know, in between these two classes, boom, yeah. thought loop closed. Yeah. So I started, 
I just realized I had all these thoughts. And I said, well, what is the finality of these thoughts? And so I responded back to it so I could gain some closure and close the loop on these thoughts. Does any of this make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about, um, so those are do thoughts, which I get all of those, but I'm curious about reoccurring intrusive thoughts. Tell me about that. I still have them. You know, yeah. I, I still have them. Um, they're not as much since I've been on medication, but yeah. I can be, oh my God, I could be doing anything. I could be washing dishes, listening to yeah. John Mayer with a beautifully, you know, beautiful candle lit and just, you know, washing the dishes. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, my mind will just throw in a scenario or it'll just, I hear this voice that's like, okay. So oh my God, this is so great that you're asking this. So it's usually when I'm so content and I'm just, I'm just at peace, right? I'm in, I'm just in the moment washing my dishes or cooking just in the moment present. And I'll hear a voice that'll just be like, yes, yeah, so-and-so doesn't appreciate you. Or so, you know, I wish so-and-so could see how you're doing right now. And it's like, and then it just starts fucking going. Like, yeah. it's like, yes, yeah, see? And I'm like, and then I literally say out loud, I, and I do this to this day, boss, you're fine. We're just washing dishes right now. Everything is okay. So like, I have to talk to this part of my brain that is just, it's, it's almost so afraid to be at peace. It's yes. almost like, it, 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 it's like too good to be true when we're this much at peace. So I'm going to fuck with your peace because mm -hmm. when I was a kid, that's what, that's what it was like in my house. Things would be fine. And then my mom would be emotionally volatile. They'd get into a fight. It'd be become world, world war three. It was so unpredictable in my house. So as an adult and the way my brain now functions is I'm going to create the unpredictability rather than having anyone do it to me. But the problem with that is nothing's happening. I'm not in the war zone anymore. I'm just sitting here watching dishes. So oh, all that to say, yes, I still have mm -hmm. recurring intrusive thoughts. And what really helps me is when I say it, say them out loud so I can get myself back into reality and yeah. say, boss, you're not back there. You're here. Your, your home is beautiful. No one is penetrating your peace. You are okay. You are safe. But um, yeah. That's, that's yeah. what it's like. I love your honesty because I think that um, it held me back to think, I used to think that you had to, the thought had to be completely gone. So I would make all these efforts to either bury it or, you know, like, or always think there's something wrong with me that I couldn't completely get away. I used to think I thought meditating was a waste of time because I thought that that mm -hmm. meant get away instead of watching them float by or speaking them out. Um, it was always this like all or nothing. And that just held me back so much because I could never get to that. So why even bother? So I love what you're saying. And I found for me, one of the things, cause I'm so ridiculously social and I'm, I'm an extreme extrovert. I have, it's, it's kind of like you were talking about boxer, but it's video, it's Marco Polo. And I have certain friends that I really, really trust. And um, I'll speak either to them if it's something that I feel, or I speak to myself in, in video form, because I can't journal because I can't sit down long enough to journal. Okay. And so I do that. But you know what I don't do is I don't talk back to myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited about about trying that because like you said, they're going to come back. But every time maybe you're just closing that circle a little bit more, and maybe it will never close, maybe it'll be a horseshoe, maybe it'll be a horseshoe. Mm -hmm. But it that's, I think that it helps. Right. And I think 
I hope for our listeners because really understand that it it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you if you can't get rid of them at all. And in fact, realistically, because of our disorder and illness, you know, they are going to come back. Mm-hmm. And how you work with that is going to, um, you know, help you manage best you can. And once I realized that, like, that my, you know, my only goal is to manage and work with it instead of, you know, overcome like this horror, even though I like preach all the time, like healing is linear. When I get back to it immediately, that mean voice is like, you're back here again. You should know better. You're a fake. You talk about this, you know, but you can't do it. But really it's since I've started working with what I have. Right. But I've never done that where I, I talk back to it. I, I'm excited about that. I think, I think that's really powerful because really we're the only ones in our head, right? Like I, I sometimes when I'm struggling, like I just want everyone else to fix it. Like I'll just reach out uh, like desperately to everyone, but really like they don't know, they don't know what's in there. The talking and responding back is a game changer because there have been times that you want to know how, like when I really started to lean in to talking and responding back is after I got out of rehab and I, we, we talked about this, you know, I'm uh, four years sober from cocaine, March 27th. Um, oh, yay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I went to rehab twice for it. So I didn't learn my lesson the first time. I'm a thorough learner. You know, I'm not a fast learner. I'm a thorough learner. There you go. So I had to go back to rehab a second time. Um, but, you know, when I, when I was in recovery the second time, you know, I was living back in my house. I live by, I, you know, it's just me and my dog and um, my mom and dad are on the East coast. My whole family's on the East coast. I really didn't have many people to talk to. I mean, yes, I was an intensive outpatient and I had therapy, but I didn't have a boyfriend. I was freshly broken up with, you know, I had no job and I was at home uh, getting sober, staying sober. And I hated myself. I hated myself for being 37, 37 at the time having my mom take care of me. I was fired from my TV hosting job. I mean, I felt like a loser. Mm-hmm. And so what really got me through those dark, like that, and, and then the pandemic hit, okay? Oh. Yeah, so I was alone. It, we couldn't go anywhere. I uh, wasn't on, no, I was, I was on meds at that time, but I was yeah. like on and off. I wasn't consistent. Okay. Please don't be, word to the wise, don't be inconsistent. If you're gonna yeah. do something, do it. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do, yeah. but yeah. Yes, it is so hard to do. Um, and I wanted to die. I mean, I wanted to die. I would, I would just sit there at the edge of my couch, feeling like a loser, literally calling myself a loser. And I would, and then it, I, I don't really talk about this, but I'll just say this. Yeah, I, I would say, just tell myself what a loser I was in my mm-hmm. head. And then I would get so overwhelmed by the mean voice in my head that was telling me how much of a loser I was that I would say out loud, I am not a loser. And then I would, and then I would let that other part of myself, the one that was mean, say, yeah, you are, your mom's taking care of you. You have no clients. Look at you. And I, I said that voice out loud, but then I channeled another part of me that was like, that's really mean. Like, this is not the way Like, I don't want to be spoken to like this. Like you're being really unkind. So I would battle it out with these different parts of myself, but out loud, because when I can hear myself being a bitch to myself, okay. And I, and I, and I'm like, this is unkind by being able to hear that and be like, "Uh uh-uh, we don't talk to Vasavi that way. Then I'm able to access another part of me, a kinder part of me, a less vicious part of me. Right. And I can access this other voice 
And as and I don't just do this because I'm a voiceover artist. That was only later on in life. But I I am very sensitive to tone of voice because my mother had a very harsh, cutting voice growing up. It could it could just mm. cut through glass. Her voice. Mm. So I'm hypersensitive to tone, but I internalized her tone and I made it my tone. And that's how I talk to myself. So to free myself from these voices in my head that essentially just told me to go to Lowe's home improvement and get a rope and hang myself from a fan, which is what these voices told me. I said that out loud and I was able to access a different part of me that said, no, you're not going to kill yourself. You're not going to be like your uncle. My uncle hung himself from a fan 20 years ago. And I said, no. So I was able to calm myself down and talk myself off the ledge because you know what? People don't get it. And you could try to explain it. I could explain it to another person who has bipolar disorder. Fine. But I didn't have anyone. I didn't have anyone at that time that understood. And so that's how I helped myself at that time. And it helped. I'm still here today, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. I think so too, because when it becomes, like you said, our inner monologue, it, we become used to it and it's like uncomfortably comfortable. But I, that just really hit me what you were saying right now. If I spoke, not only if I spoke it aloud, if I spoke it aloud in the tone that's in my voice, that I could better stand up to it than leaving it in there. And, and here's the game changer. You stop being afraid of other people who have that tone of voice. Because when you stand up to the mean girl in you, the inner critic in you, when you stand up to that harsh tone, you're not going to be threatened by other people's harsh tone because you would have managed it within your own mind. I'm not afraid of anybody anymore. And that's taken me a long time to say nothing. And uh, you could say whatever to me. I'm not, I'm not hurt by it. I'm not bothered by it. That doesn't mean I don't have feelings. I'm not afraid. That's what yeah. I, what I want to say. I mean, I, I can still get hurt. I still yeah. get triggered. I'm not immune and I am definitely not numb, but I am not afraid of people. You get, yeah. I'm not afraid yeah. to approach people. I'm not, if someone has like, uh, a kind of front you know how some people are like very guarded and so they may come off a little cold and usually that type of tone would um make me feel very scared like oh I don't want to but I'm not afraid of people in fact I'm able to connect with people on a much deeper level mm. and I can talk to anyone about anything because I have been able to handle those different parts or sub-personalities within my own yeah. being yeah um, it's like you it's not going to destroy you because I know with like there was ever a broken friendship or because I spend most of my life, like feeling misunderstood is not my job to convince everybody else. Right. And it's not, I, I, it's a way to not to build resilience, to not let other people's opinions and other things like destroy you. It doesn't mean that you're not going to feel it, Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay. Tell us about the naming the parts of ourselves. Yes. Okay. So I love this because I like to have fun with it. I'm a trained actor and voiceover artist. And it really hit me when we were talking about uh, sub personalities in acting and being able to channel different energies of these personalities within us. So that's a little bit of context. The second thing is um, when I started to slow my mind down, when I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I started to name my parts. So I could like one tone of voice would be vulnerable Vasudhi. One tone of voice would be vicious Vasavi. When I'm really determined to get something, I'm vigilant Vasavi and I access that energy. So the reason why I do this is because oftentimes we look at us having one reaction and we think that's the totality of who we are. So I have one bad day where I rage out on my mom and sister does not mean that I'm an angry bitch for life. It just means 
that vicious Vasavi is out. Now, you may not like the word vicious. Play with your words. I don't. I like alliteration, and yeah. I don't mind saying vicious Vasavi because in that moment when she's raging out, vicious. It is. I, I am vicious. I am. I absolutely exude the behavior of, of of being vicious. But here's the beautiful thing: when I name my, that part of myself, vicious Vasavi, and I choose to use curiosity and compassion with vicious mm -hmm. Vasavi, what I have come to understand that vicious Vasavi is just extremely sad. She's just really sad that she's felt like an afterthought in her life and in her family. So vicious Vasavi steps up to protect that part of herself that has felt like an yeah. afterthought. Vicious Vasavi may need to learn how to communicate when she feels like an afterthought. Maybe vicious Vasavi needs a little bit of vulnerability. So let's yeah. bring in vulnerable Vasavi to talk to vicious Vasavi. Wow. So vicious yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. So like maybe with you, Shaley, maybe you're like sadistic. Shaley yeah. really needs right? Shaley. No, yeah. I, and, I, and I say this because, listen, we all have these parts of ourselves. I, I can do. be vicious. And when we name it, it's, it's, it's helping that part of your brain, like your brain see, or just even with you, like you may have, I mean, I'm just saying sadistic because I like alliteration. I don't want to call you. Yeah, yeah, I'm a teacher. I'm good with alliteration. Yeah, yeah so, so. Okay, so let's name, you know, the Shaley that gets really angry. If we like alliteration, what is that? That's um, Snippy Shaley. Let's yep. say you're in a snippy mood. Snippy yep. Shaley. But then Snippy Shaley, we, it, it's really easy to be like, oh, she's just snippy. She's just irritable. She's just yeah. so bitchy. Oh, she's just yeah. so moody. Yeah, but you know what? She has a heart too. She's going through something too. Can yeah. we have a little bit of compassion for Snippy Shaley? Like she doesn't want to be that way. So yeah. maybe we need, um, maybe we need... Maybe she needs some softness. Maybe she needs soft Shelly. Yeah, Maybe she soft Shelly needs to come out and be like, what's going on? Talk to me. Why are you so snippy right now? You know, I always like add a little lightness. I, I like levity with myself it, it, because sometimes when you're when you feel so heavy in yeah. the emotion, I like levity. So I always add a little humor with myself. I'm playful with myself. And it's like, okay. come on, talk to me. What's going on? You know, I'm, but there are some times where I just, I just need to be gentle and firm with myself and also let that part of myself know I'm listening to you. Talk to me. I'm not here to judge you, you know, mm. speak to me. Philosophy, we're talking about all these things about naming ourselves. How would someone start to do this? What would you say are first steps? Okay. So first step is obviously to listen to this full episode. Yes. And <laughs> the first thing, look, I'm, I'm, I'm about to share it with you. So here, now that we're talking about this, okay, I want everyone listening just to be extra mindful, okay? Just start becoming, number one, extra mindful that you do have many different parts to you. First thing is to acknowledge, become aware. We all have many different parts to us. Is to, And that is a great reminder because when you are set off, when you may be feeling hypomanic and you say things that you don't mean because it might happen and it maybe will happen, you want to be, you want to remember this, especially when you're feeling extremely low, when you're feeling high, when you feel out of control, just remember what I'm about to say to you, that that is not the totality of who you are. That is one part of you that is being activated. Do not let that one behavior that you exhibit or the feeling like don't doom cast, right? It's so mm. easy to doom cast and think this is the way that I'm going to be forever. No. So the first thing is just to recognize we have many different parts to us. When they're getting activated, we just need to slow down a little bit. 
and pause and say out loud, which part of me is this right now that feels this way? What part of me right now is activated? Like it's even asking that question helps slow us down. It helps to, um, I don't want to say take us out of it, but we get to just create a little space between us and that part that's activated. It's the wise part of you is like, wait a minute. Okay. I feel myself getting activated. Okay. Let's take a deep breath. Which part of me is this right now? Ooh, this is vicious Vasavi. This is vicious Vasavi right now. Or, or maybe for you, Ooh, snippy Shelly. Oh God, she's getting activated, you know? And it's just allowing that part of you, let it come to the, let, let it come to life. Acknowledge it. it. Acknowledge it. It is a part of you rather than being like, oh, I hate to feel this way. I'm angry that I'm angry. I'm sad yeah. that I'm sad. Like, no, that's just going to yeah. exacerbate it because you're not giving yourself room to breathe and process. Mm-hmm. So instead you could just pause and say, which part of me is this right now? Another great question, which I, I think I shared this with you before we began this recording is, Ooh, I am feeling triggered right now. Okay, how old is this part of me right now? I love that question because it 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 really helps us see. Oftentimes, when you are triggered in this moment, it is not because of what is happening in this moment. You are literally brought back to a period yes. in your life, and instead of running from that trigger, you have an opportunity to heal that part of you that is being triggered. That thirteen year old, <laughs> that thirteen year old in you the 17-year-old in you, the five-year-old in you. So I say in my book, your triggers are your teachers. That doesn't mean that you have to purposely go out and get triggered. But yes. when you, when, please please don't do that either because that's that's not very kind, right? It's like putting yourself in the line of fire. I'm, I'm all for exposure therapy, but life is already hard enough. We are triggered by just opening up our phones, okay? Right. So when you feel triggered, yeah, pause and ask yourself, and I, I talk about this in the book, like how old is this part of me? Um, what does this part of me uh, need in this moment? What is the feeling that this part of me is experiencing right now? Treat that part of you like it's an actual person because it is, it's still a part of you and you are a person. And then you get to create that space between you and that part of you. And you can start speaking to that part of you with more kindness, with more curiosity and less judgment. Yeah. And name it. And I say, name it, because this is where we get to have fun. This is where we get to add a little bit more levity into our lives. And I, I know sometimes things can feel really heavy. So for me, you know, when, I, oh, I have a, I have this new part of Vasavi that's ready to come out. It's Vixen Vasavi. She is, she is sexy. She is fine. She is fine as hell. You know, she smells really good. She is, you know, she is ready to go. She can walk into a room and just you know, just like ignite sparks, but see, you can have fun with this because yeah. you can use these parts to name yourself when you're feeling not so good about yourself and offer mm-hmm. compassion. You can also use this to name parts of you that have been waiting to come out and be expressed like Vixen Vasavi, Sexy Shelly. Like who are the parts yeah. of you yeah. that need to come out so you can have fun with this? And yeah. in doing so, you start to you start to create a sense of home within yourself because I don't know about you, Shelly, but growing up, home wasn't home for me. I left yeah. my home when I was 28 and I said I was never going back and I didn't mm-hmm. because home was not a place where I could be all the parts of myself. But guess what? I can be all the parts of myself with me. Yeah, yeah. I left, when I, was, I left when I was 18. Oh, wow. Good for yeah. you, for yeah, real. Was, and you never I went was, back. Mm-hmm. I was out. I love what you said there because- like you were talking about hypersexuality before, now it probably feels safe 
for Vixen Vasavi to come out because you understand her. Mm -hmm. You're not going to let Vixen Vasavi be all of you and take over. And do you know what I mean? I, I know how to harness the energy yeah. of Vixen Vasavi. Yeah. Vixen Vasavi has discernment now. Yes. Vixen Vasavi has boundaries. Vixen Vasavi has standards. And yeah, I'm just not going to let anybody into my life. Vixen Vasavi has grown up. She is wiser. She's made a lot of mistakes and she's learned. So yeah. there are lots of parts of us. And I, and I, I openly shared this. I, I often feel like I don't have a mood disorder. I have an energy problem. I have, a, I have an energy management yeah. issue. And so I love this concept of naming of parts and subpersonalities because everything is energy and all of these parts of us, you know, possess their own energy. And if we do yeah. not know how to understand this part of ourselves, what this part of ourselves needs to feel safe, secure, what is the best use of this part of ourselves energy, we're going to be scattered and all over the place. And that's yeah. exhausting. So, yeah. 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 And that's true because they're also starting to talk about like in the medical communities and other people about it's almost a sleep disorder. It's almost, and that makes sense about the energy disorder, right? It, Cause those are the, the biggest drivers to, and triggers to get to the different episodes. So that's, that's really important. I love what you said that question for you. Mm -hmm. Would this be because I know when I'm in the moment, I know all the things in therapy. And then in the moment I really, really struggle. Would you suggest um, doing this when you are like trying it when you're calmer or euthymic so that it becomes a habit? So then when mm -hmm. you're in the thick of it, you can actually ask that question because sometimes I'm like red or so blue or whatever that I can't even get to that. I'm curious if I could practice, if that would be helpful. I'm thinking maybe yes. Absolutely. Because here's the thing, when I'm in, when I'm raging, I am taken over. I am completely taken over by another entity. Now I, there are things in place that I do. Uh, I keep my distance. I do. I, I keep a lot of space between me and others. I'm, I've become very boundaried. I'm not rigid. I'm not rigid. I'm just boundaried. And I protect my energy because I know when I'm feeling like I could pop off at any yeah. second. So yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't now seek out situations to create the chaos anymore. Yeah. I'm, I, and I think I, I needed an outlet to be able to, I have these intrusive thoughts. I need to duke it out with someone. So what I've done is when I'm not raging or even, you know, after afterwards, when you're feeling so really shitty about yourself, you know, yeah. you're feeling shitty because you've done that. I forgive myself. Obviously I apologize to the people in my life. I forgive myself for uh, t being taken over because it, that also has a huge effect on my blood pressure. And I, I say sorry to myself, like, I'm sorry, I could not handle that situation. Can yeah. we please, sometimes I, I, re I like reflect on what happened. So I'll talk to myself and be like, all right, boss, that was a lot. Um, you got really angry. What happened? And at that point, angry Vasavi is not as angry, right? So she's able yeah. to say like, well, it's just really fucking annoying. It feels yeah. like nobody pays attention to me. And I, I do let her get riled up because she, she's allowed to be angry. She's allowed to be angry. What she's not allowed is to, is to put that on everyone else, right? And that's where af the aftermath, that is where the reparation takes place. We need to repair Right. So because when that part of me that's angry gets really angry and then blows up at her mom, blows up at her sister, then she feels like crap afterwards because yeah. she, she doesn't want to be that way. So that's where I get to come in because obviously my mom and sister forgive me. My, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed. My, I have a mother and sister and a father that really love me and they see beyond my label. But yeah. 
I need to repair within myself because I'm shaming myself. So that's where I get to come in and speak to that angry part of me when she's a little calmer. And when I, my current self is a little calmer because it, it takes over us, you know, and it's exhausting. And we get to have a meeting of the minds and say, how could we have handled that differently? What do you need next time? Is there anything else you need to say that hasn't been said out loud? And I will convene with myself because at the end of the day, I, you know, I, your family, your friends may forgive you, but the person that ends up loathing yourself the most is us. I loathe, I, I don't want to live in self-loathing. I don't, because yeah. I end up hating myself when I treat people yeah. that way. So the way that I try to make those occurrences be farther and few in between is I repair with myself, I forgive myself, and I hear what that part of me needs and I give it to her. If that angry part of me needs space and she says, you know what, I just, I, it's not isolation, but I just need to spend time with you, meaning me. Then I yeah. say, okay, let's just, let's just be with ourselves. It's oftentimes the angriest part of me is extremely, like I said, she feels like an afterthought and she feels like nobody cares about her. And, um, yeah, I get that reoccurring thought, like you give, 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 and, or I like, I like everybody more than they like me. That's the big one for me, but yeah, I, uh, I love this. I'm trying to think back. So Sometimes like I was like a skeptical person, right? I was like all these things. I was like, oh, they'll never work for me. I would get in that mindset. And I know for me, um, and I know so, probably for a lot of folks here, I probably couldn't get to the, even trying this, not being on my medication, right? Mm. Or not, right? So if you're someone that feels like this is impossible for you, like I talk about how my medication makes me feel like it, obviously there's really crappy things about it. If I didn't have to take it, that would be amazing. But the reality is I do, but it almost brings me to a space where I can even be with myself. Like I can't even, uh, for me personally. So if you're feeling like this is so out of reach, take care of your physical things first. And it, it won't be because I would be the one. I was the one that wouldn't think. And I, I just encourage you so much. These things that seem, you know, might like talking to your inner child or those things, they might seem either out of reach or kind of like, it feels weird. It really does at first. Right. But I cannot tell you how much it has helped me. And by the enthusiasm <laughs> that you can hear from Vasavi, it is clearly helped her. And we are not saying that um, it's going to fix everything. And that's, what's mm -hmm. so beautiful about this book and about your honesty is that there's both and we can make things better and beautiful and flourish, but, and still have mm -hmm. our disorder. Right. And, and I appreciate you saying that because when you have bipolar disorder, I, you know, when I first got diagnosed, I was willing to do anything to help myself. And so I think over the past 21 years, I have a lot of things in my toolbox. And one of the things is I talk to myself out loud and I respond back and I name different parts of myself. Yeah. Listen, y'all, it's just another thing that you yeah. can choose to try it out. Here's the thing, uh, unless you're unable to, we all have access to our voice and we yes, all know how to right? speak. Why can't we just use that to speak to ourselves and respond back? We are also a person. We are, you know, a lot of times we're so worried about what other people are thinking and saying, no, but you're also the other person. You're also a person. And so you can talk to, connect with, and convene with yourself by talking to yourself out loud to the different parts of you. And this is the part where I want, I want to normalize this, respond back. Yeah. Because in our yeah. society, it's like, okay, you could talk to yourself, 
you're just crazy when you respond back. And it's like, no, maybe we'd feel less crazy if yeah. we actually responded back rather yeah. than just hoping somebody out in the, in the ether can hear us. At least yeah. when you talk to yourself and respond back, somebody's listening. Yeah. Listening. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that reminds me because some of the most powerful things that I've done is when I've written a letter to myself right? Yes. And this is very similar, but it feels more accessible to me because you can do it in the moment and in small chunks. Like I would think it would have to be like this one timer, long, beautiful conversation with myself, but this seems much more manageable. Yes. For to, so I, I appreciate that so, so much. I could talk to you for 5,000 million hours. Everybody, I suggest that you listen to this several times, not just because it's my podcast, but because <laughs> this is like, a double whammy, right? Like you have the, you're a therapist and you have the experience and that is rare. And so this is like free therapy and bestiness, friends. Free therapy and a best friend. All best. in one. Come on. Come on. You're so good with your words. I love that. <laughs> so I just want to thank you so, so much for what you put out in this world. And I love that, um, you know, we can have a piece of you right on our bedside table with Thank the you. book. And Vasvi also has a podcast and she's like, follow her everywhere because the little snippets every day, like for someone, like if you're someone that right now can't sit and concentrate and read the whole book, have the book and listen to her. She is online. She is doing her thing. And I can just feel your heart for our bipolar people. And Thank so- you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I also wanted to say, um, for those of you that have been hearing for it for a while and being accountable here, I am going to start the membership very, very soon. It feels like I'm telling myself that it's going to be a birthday present to myself. So I am getting it together in April and I'm hoping to, to launch it um, soon. And so I'm going to have an extra part with Vasavi. So if you're part of the membership group, you get to hear the next part of the conversation that we're going to have even closer. You'll feel like you're on the couch with us. It's going to be fantastic. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Bipolar. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon to be future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies, and we'd just love for you to join us there. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. If you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is Bible.